Hi, everyone. Today we're reading from Mark 13, verses 1 through 8, in the season of ordinary time, marking themes of discipleship. This week, Jesus mumbles about wars and rumors of wars, but even those closest to Jesus don't know when the end is coming, so I guess that's cool. <laughs> I'm Ben Kramer. And I'm Alicia McClintic. And this is the A Plain Account Podcast. reading our scripture this week from the NIV. Listen to Mark 13 verses 1 through 8. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines, but these are the beginning of the birth pains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, we get apocalyptic Jesus for for a minute. What are we going to do about it? This text is often referred to as a mini apocalypse because uh, there's we have the Mount of Olives, which is a uh, a very stark place in the scriptures that's foretold where the the Messiah will come, um, and Jesus is there, you know, specifically in Mark. They're they're by the temple and these grand buildings, but then it's at the Mount of Olives where he explains these things, uh, and some historical context there were scholars aren't sure if this is written before um, the temple is destroyed by Rome and they're reflecting on it or they're already feeling rumblings about that possibility of losing the temple and so there it's writing written beforehand but that would be in the consciousness of the audience who read Mark's gospel either way is the destruction of the temple. Yeah, that's, I think, a really important historical note that like within this passage, we have like a really clear reference to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which has like a particular historic date. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so there, there are, yeah, again, different sides of this conversation as we try to understand well did the original audience already have this in mind and they are reflecting back on the stories of Jesus in light of their current historical reality or is it the other way around that they're reflecting on their stories of Jesus and contextualizing it within this sort of oncoming sense of doom um and and the truth is we don't really know for sure we can't like quite Mm -hmm know that for certain but we do know that like in a very concrete way that that this 
that this passage has that filter on it about like the very concrete destruction of the temple in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. um, after Jesus's death. And also like as with Jesus and, and his teaching, there's always another layer. There's like something else that he's talking about um, as he's mentioning the, um, the kind of final consummation, the end of all things, like the, the coming of, of God's, of God's reign or this, this birth pain of the new creation. Right. Right. So, so there's, there's something about the historical destruction of the temple. And then there's something about this, like kind of coming new reality Mm -hmm. um, and, and how and in what ways they're connected. The disciples are curious. How do we know what's happening when Um, that there's a lot of questions that this text brings up? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think Mark kind of gives us a good starting point on on something that he often writes about, which is greatness. And I was struck by how the disciples talk about uh, what massive stones, they're kind of in awe of these great buildings, right? Including Mm. the the temple. And Jesus responds, do you see all these great buildings? Not one of the stones will be left on another. And that's the theme of of redefining greatness is as constant in, in Mark's gospel and all of Jesus ministry really in all four gospels. Um, and, and so I think in regards to the temple, I think we can, uh, ask how has the temple played in, in Israel's history? Mm-hmm. What role has it played? What was its purpose? And then how could this be kind of an earth shattering statement from Christ not only redefining greatness, but the the temple was the center of God's presence for Israel. Mm-hmm. And so, w- what is Christ implying by by predicting the destruction of the temple and the other great buildings that surround it? Yeah. Yes, I think those are all really important questions. Um, I think it's important to remember that the temple occupies such a central and crucial. Uh, position in the life of the Jewish community. Like this is, this is where their whole Mm -hmm. like public life is centered. Um, Both their, their spiritual worship and then their like communal gathering. It's all really centered around the temple or, um, or various uh, synagogues in local villages where, when you're not in the city. Um, but the temple wasn't always around mm-hmm. like there there are several other phases in the life of the community where their central meeting place and their place of worship wasn't the temple either because they were in exile in babylon um and so the the temple had been destroyed and they were uh, spiritually uh without a home in in that sense mm-hmm. um and and that that was like a significant like uh, point of communal trauma to have lost the temple and to have lost their land and their home. So so there are echoes of that here in this passage. Um, but then even before that, uh, when the people of Israel, when the Hebrew people are released from captivity in Egypt, they're wandering in the wilderness, and and they set up a tent 
And God seems to have a lot to say about this tent situation. (laughs) (laughs) The the tabernacle has like pages and pages and pages devoted to its decoration and its setup. And God seems to have some very particular instructions Mm -hmm. about how that is, um, is facilitated and how the community begins that portion of their worshiping life together. Um, but in contrast, I find that like God doesn't say a ton about the temple in um in the the early days of the monarchy when when David first proposes that he will build a house for the Lord and the Lord says no I will build you a house or or a, a dynasty or a family mm-hmm. right God doesn't seem particularly thrilled about the whole temple situation. Right. Um, and then, and then the project gets passed on from David to Solomon because of like the complicated story. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Uh, where, um, yeah. So, so this is, this is the origin of the temple. That was like a very long, <laughs> um, like background story about like kind of how we get to this moment, like impressive stones, a really like massive and, and beautiful building. That's like a, a replica or like a rebuilding of Solomon's temple. Um, after there have been like several destructions in the meantime, (laughs) in in between. So with all of that, (laughs) there's like, there's a lot of baggage that comes with talking about the temple as Jesus has this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, So what strikes you as important about this scene in Mark when the, the disciples admire the temple and then Jesus has, has, um, has this to say about it, that like nothing is going to remain from this particular place. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm struck by the contrast of them admiring um, what is the symbol of God's presence in the world while following God in the flesh? Mm. Um, I, I, I'm always really struck by that contrast of they're, they're telling God in the flesh, look at how great these buildings are, you, you know, and that I think that needs to hit us a little bit deeper than it, than it does. Um, but also in previous podcasts, we've even discussed uh, how the, the temple has become this place um, that is, it's not an, really an either or, like you were trying to help us understand here. It's not like um, the temple is all terrible or all, you know, incredibly holy either. It's kind of both and where God is dwelling with uh, the, with Israel in, in the midst there because God desires relationship with, mm-hmm. with Israel. But we also learn that the temple has become this place where it's devouring widows and orphans. And I'm just struck by the parallel there where it's almost like little red riding hood saying, my, what big teeth you have, grandma, Mm -hmm. my, what, what, what fur, furry, uh, hairy skin you have, you know, and the disciples are saying, my, what big stones it has, my, what beautiful jewels. And Jesus is saying, um, see all of these stones, not one will be laid on top of the other. And because Mm -hmm. I think, I think Jesus is talking about all the things that the temple has become that is not of God. Hmm. Jesus is going to redeem and restore and heal through his passion on, on the cross. Um, and that's the ap- apocalypse. When we call something apocalypse, 
I think it's a it's a trigger word or a hang up word that we forget the meaning, which just means revelation or unveiling. And so mm-hmm. the greatest revelation of God in the world is Christ, which brings the end to a world of these these painful scenarios of brokenness, of carnage, of chaos to a world where peace and tranquility and love and trust is the normal reality. Yeah. And so, so I think that's what Jesus is really trying to have the disciples key in here when he's talking about destruction. I think that's so important. And it loops us back to our kind of historical conversation about the temple, because in the beginning, when God created a good and beautiful world, God wanted a dynamic, loving relationship with humanity that's centered in freedom and wholeheartedness. Right. And um, sin and death enter the picture and they're like, they're, they're broken covenants and broken trust. Right. Um, And then we come to the moment of the tabernacle and this is God's way of, of dwelling amongst the people and inviting them into, again, this like dynamic, wholehearted, loving relationship. But remember the people are afraid. Like they don't want to go up to the mountain to meet with God. They send Moses. They said like, Mm -hmm. please, please don't make us do that. Like we can't, we can't like, and so, so this is one of the ways that God is meeting the people where they are. Right. And then similarly, fast forward into the times of the monarchy where the people demand a king and God's not particularly thrilled about it. Mm -hmm. There seems to be some sort of disappointment there that the people cannot find a way to engage the relationship that God desires in this like wholehearted and free and dynamic way. They need some structure. Um, and, and God meets them where they are again with the institution of a king and then the building of the temple, um, but I think ultimately God is always moving them and us into this place of like dynamic, wholehearted, free relationship. And so like you just reminded us that happens through Jesus's incarnation, um, death and resurrection. And then, and then there's something really particular that happens. The very particular unveiling that happens when Jesus is crucified is that the curtain in the temple that protects the holiest of holy Mm -hmm. places where God is God's power is supposed to be like forever present. The curtain that separates that place from the rest of, of, of us. Right torn from top to bottom and there is this unveiling or this opening. Right. Um, and so, so I think when we talk about the destruction of the temple, I, I think we need to do it in a way that's respectful of all of the faithful followers of Yahweh who were committed to temple life and worship and practice. Right. Mm -hmm. In a way that captures the whole sense of the story that God is, is forever moving humanity into this like open, free dynamic loving relationship yeah, right yeah, and and some so good. and sometimes that needs to happen via the systems and structures that that humanity needs in order to kind of conceptualize who god is and what god is up to right. but ultimately god is maturing us and growing us kind of into into a different way right mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I'm, I'm not sure if that makes sense i'm still struggling with like like how do how do we how do we talk about um God doing a new thing um mm-hmm. and Jesus moving humanity into this place of new creation without like demonizing or dehumanizing or belittling like the folks who have gone before right, right? Well, well I feel like that's a constant theme that at least I see in the scriptures where when God does a new thing 
um, there's always this kind of God's grace comes along to unclench humanity's hands around the old ways that God Mm -hmm. has already acted. Right. And it's almost like this conversation is like, I'm doing a new thing. And humanity says, no, you've done this old thing that we still really like. And we want to stick on with that. So I, I think of, I, talked with my congregation last year about how, like how many times did God show up as a burning bush or a pillar Mm. of smoke or a pillar of fire, splitting seas, uh, ax head floating, the sun stopped in the sky, you know, all of these, what we would call theophanies. Um, how many times did, did God heal through an iron serpent in the wilderness, right? All, many of those things it happened only one time. Mm. And yet, especially with that iron serpent, that was then placed in the temple. Who, and it was an idol that was later destroyed by a prophet of God saying, you have, you have focused on the, the tool that God used to heal as if it's mm. the, as if it's God in God's self. Um, and so when God does these new things, we can get caught up on the apparatus or the tool in which God used as the presence of God, rather than focusing on the giver, you know, the one who gave us those things. And so when, when Jesus is trying to say, you know, we're, we're not asking you to get rid of these things. We, Mm -hmm. God is doing this new thing to redeem the old right? It's not, right. it's not a destruction, but you will actually understand those old things rightly yeah. through this new thing. Um, and I think that's, that's always been a really hard thing for, for humanity to, to come to grips with in the, in the moment. Totally. That's such a helpful perspective. And I think it like points us to what Jesus continues to say in the text as the disciples say like, okay, well, sh- tell us about the signs, show mm-hmm. us what we need to know so that we can like interpret what's happening. Right. Like right. give us the lowdown, the preview of like the next burning bush, the next serpent, the next, whatever, like let yeah. us, let us in on the secret. Um, and Jesus says like, I can't yeah. right? that, like, <laughs> like uh, that, that there's, that there's something that's like even beyond um, that, that, that there's something that there's something kind of wholly spontaneous mm-hmm. about the movement of God in the world. And that, that like it, it's counterproductive to, to try to offer these signs and symbols and kind of roadmaps of what, what is coming. Jesus says like, don't pay attention to the next person who says like, this is, this is the new thing. Like, (laughs) uh, you, you already know what to look for, right? Right, Don't be, don't be led astray by, by the false prophets or like the next person who says Mm -hmm. like, you just need to do these things. And then, um, we'll, we'll give you a formula. Beware of the folks who promise this is how it's going to be because, because Jesus can't even, can't even do that in, in a, in a faithful way. It's right. Right. Absolutely. And we can, we can interpret this text with scripture where we know that Jesus says in, in Matthew's gospel that not even the son of man knows the hour. So like Jesus even takes that a bit further and saying, I, I don't even have an answer for you um, because this, it almost makes me want to say that 
like, do you know what faith is? Like, it's mm. this evidence of things not seen and Christ is walking in faith, even in regards to when he returns. It's not this kind of knowing that we're asking for. Like, we want hard and fast certainty and Jesus is operating in the, the realm of, of faith, not, not, you know, hard and fast certainty, um, which certainty can use signs, you know. Totally, totally. And that just like fits with the whole nature of this conversation, right? Um, yeah. Like we, like the the reason it's so easy to cling to the temple or like all that that kind of stands for and represents is because we want certainties. Right. Like we want, we want a formula. We want like, like a way to, a way to move through the world that provides us some certainty and clarity and, and structure. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Um. But, but when we become so, so, so stuck in those places mm-hmm. or so addicted to certainty, if I might use that kind of language, um, when we're craving certainty more than we're craving the holy spontaneity of the spirit, then we've yeah. like lost something. Right. Um, right. And, and I think, I think that's where Jesus is trying to offer this kind of corrective to say, like, cause he, he doesn't rebuke them for asking this question. No, he like no. legitimately engages the conversation. It's not, it's not wrong to be curious in any, in any way. Um, but Jesus is saying like, I, I see what you're wondering about, but join me in, in faithfully looking for new creation right. all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's almost like he's saying um, these things that are that are uh, constant in the world, because like the list that Jesus gives, um, many will come in my name, which people Mm -hmm. have been coming in God's name since the dawn of time. I I am he and will deceive many Uh, wars, rumors of wars and conspiracy theories fit right into that. You know, the rumors Mm -hmm. of calamity uh, fit right into that. Do not be alarmed for such things must happen. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, uh, earthquakes, famines, you name it. Right. The, The calamity that has really been a part of the human experience from the beginning and I think he's not saying don't look for um, don't look for for evidence of Christ coming because we're we're supposed to anticipate hopefully anticipate Christ coming. Mm -hmm. I think he's more encouraging and saying don't look as these are signposts that the end is near Mm -hmm. because that's how are people deceived. It's when everything feels like it's falling apart and someone steps in and says, I've got all the answers. Right. Right. And they use the calamity to bring everyone to them um, as if they are the, the Messiah, they are the savior that can, can bring an end to all this calamity when disciples are specifically called here to say, uh, don't get deceived by that. These things are a constant part of of creation groaning for God, as as Paul would say. Um, and so be about this good work, like work even harder towards that new creation that's coming um, rather than getting caught up on those things as the sign of the end. Um, does that sort right. of make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think that that's, that's exactly right. It's 
I, I think it's also Jesus reminding his disciples then. And then, I mean, through, through the power of the scriptures reminding us now that we are always called to be faithful to the person and the work of Jesus right here, right now in the midst of wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and, and the, the brokenness of, of our world. We're, we're called to be faithful to who Jesus is, what Jesus teaches and who Jesus has called us to be. Um, and, and we're, we're not people who are like pining away for, for someone to like whisk us someplace else Mm -hmm. (laughs) that, that no, like, like we, we believe that God is doing something good, even when it feels like we're surrounded by calamity. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, And that our work is to faithfully pay attention to signs of new life and new creation happening right mm-hmm. in front of us. Yeah. That, that that's the work that God has given us to do. Um, and and we get in trouble. We get in into we fall into danger when when we are wooed by folks who say like, "Come listen to me. We have all of the answers." Right. Right. And and when when Jesus was always telling us like show up, do the work, be faithful, Mm -hmm. pay attention for signs of new life and new creation. And as you're paying attention, you will see God on the move and, and the, and the new creation will happen when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, you made me think of, of something unique here. What if instead of looking for signs outwardly, in, in Christ's words, Jesus is inviting them to see themselves as signs of new creation that mm. people can look to. Like, what if we, as Christ's disciples, Jesus is calling his disciples to be the signs of his coming that the world can look at and say, look, new creation is happening all around us by those who are faithful to the one known as Jesus Christ, who is coming again soon. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that connects to the other teachings of Jesus where he calls his disciples, the salt of the earth and the Mm -hmm. light of the world, right? right? That, that when, when you are faithful to, to the work that Jesus has called you to do, um, to be peacemakers, to be, um, lovers of enemies, to, to be, to be the ones who, who look out for orphans and widows in their distress, who are tending to those who have no one to tend for them. Um, when, when you're doing that work out of the overflow of God's abundant love, then you are very clearly a sign of new creation. Like that's resurrection life. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, So that's, that's a bit like, a, a bit beyond like the the boundaries of the text for today, but I don't think it's a stretch, right? Mm-hmm. That to to be to be drawing that together, like stop stop crunching the numbers and looking for some kind of magical sign, yeah. and go and be the signs mm-hmm. that you already are, right? Like right. like show up, be faithful, be salt and light. Yeah, um, and I think that really gives us a, a helpful accountability, you know, as. And we'll get maybe into this more when we talk about how to preach this text. But in my upbringing, in my tradition uh, of Christianity, in my upbringing, there there were there was so much hope and comfort 
around people who claimed to know mm. when Christ would would return and what we're supposed to do about it. Like that seemed to bring so much comfort only to be let down when the date came and went, you know, that, that mm-hmm. Jesus didn't, you know, come back again or, or, or what have you. And so I think it gives us a helpful accountability that whenever a disciple claims to know and have the inside scoop, they're not, they're not, they're not going about it the right way. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that's a pretty hard and fast thing that you can look in the scriptures when everyone, anyone claims to know, you know, have firsthand knowledge of the events towards the end that they, they are, they're not listening to Christ's words. They're listening to, to something else. Exactly. Because Christ himself never gives any of those specifics. Right. And, and in fact, like pretty directly says, stop looking for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, but I, I think, I think the, I, I mean, the desire for that kind of certainty is still so strong. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so I hope and pray that the like desire to be faithful to Christ is even stronger, mm-hmm. right? That, 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 that continues to pull us back, like this gravitational field to like who Jesus is and what Jesus has actually said and how then we should live in light of that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, um, let's take a quick break, uh, To all of our listeners, stick around for our thoughts on preaching and applying the text or some reflection questions after this brief message. Today we bring to you a collect for vocation in daily work from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, You declare your glory and show forth your handiwork in the heavens and in the earth. Deliver us in our various occupations from the service of self alone, that we may do the work you give us to do in truth and beauty and for the common good, for the sake of him who came among us as one who serves your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Ben. What a helpful prayer to keep us focused on the message that Jesus has actually given us and the work that God has given us to do. Now that we're back to regular conversation, let's talk about how we would apply this text or maybe how we would bring it into a teaching moment, whether that's uh, from the pulpit or at a Bible study. How how do we um, bring this text to a community in a way that helps them understand and apply it? Yeah, I I think there's I think this is such an underrated text in my my opinion. So like I feel like it's so rich that there are several themes you could start with. I think uh, one right off the bat is asking this question and building a sermon around what things do we admire as great? And mm-hmm. and do we um do we look at those things um to the neglect of what God might be doing right in front of us? Mm-hmm. Um, as the disciples were, you know, looking at these massive buildings. Um, I, yeah, I th- maybe a follow-up question is like, are we looking 
to things that will ultimately pass away. Right. That like yeah. ultimately God says are, are meaningless. Right. Cause, mm-hmm. cause we can get so distracted by what's like shiny and impressive and whatever, like there, and there were reasons to be impressed by the temple, but are we, are we looking at things that ultimately don't have like lasting impact or purpose in God's kingdom and God's yeah. reign? Right. Right. Yeah. Looking at the finite rather than the infinite, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's really, really good. I think another element that's been kind of just screaming out to me is the, there's, there's such a focus now on, which I never thought it would happen. I thought I could leave it in my, my childhood, but I was, I was homeschooled kindergarten to, uh, to 12th grade. And one of the shaping forces of that in, were you going to make a wise crack? I saw that smile. (laughs) (laughs) I just was going to say, this explains so much about you. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone says that. Um, yes, it does. I'm just going to own it. That's, that's me. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Part, part of that experience though, was what's called, uh, Christian reconstructionism. And it's, if you ever want to look into it, it's, it's, you know, really, really creepy and just such a distortion of gospel theology, RJ Rushtuni, you can, you know, look him up in his, his rhetoric built single-handedly built the homeschool Christian homeschool movement in North America. Um, and it's, you know, a, an avid Holocaust denier shaped slavery as a gift to people of color in the nation. And like, this was built the curriculum in which, you know, our homeschool movement in Nampa, Idaho used hundreds of homeschool families would gather at conferences you know, with workshops called, could the South have been right? You know, and like, this is, this is the kind of backdrop that I'm hearing all of these discussions about critical race theory in like, oh, you want to talk about indoctrination? Like, (laughs) let me, let me tell you about Christian reconstructionism. Um, But one of the underpinnings of this movement has been a central theme to the QAnon conspiracies um, and led to the insurrection of, of, January 6th. And, and a lot of this language, you can see the central component of reconstructionism is that we have to overtake every institution in the name of Christ, including civil government, the family, um, public education, uh, economy. We have to retake those things for Jesus if we want Jesus to return. Like that is a, the central eschatology in reconstructionism. And so like, yeah, you, you look at these massive structures that leave you in awe, like the federal government or what have you, the education system, the economy that are these huge monoliths in our society. And if you see them as places to conquer and take over so that Jesus will return, then you are, you're again, using the tools that, that are given to us as ways in which to bring about our own apocalypse, our, our own interpretation of Christ returning rather than being about the good work ourselves as disciples, right? There's, there mm-hmm. seems to be this very distinct call and work that Jesus calls us to be about not to conquer the way the world does, but to pick up our crosses and follow Christ's example of being the 
greatest servants we can be mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than putting ourselves in the, the greatest places of power, what the world defines as power, we actually want strive to be the greatest servants. So when we look at public education or civil government, how can we be the greatest servants to the people of God in the name of God? Um, so that, that would be another kind of comparison of like, what is your definition of apocalypse? Is it mm-hmm. something that you feel like you have to do to bring about the the uh, second coming of Christ? Or are you living as if the second coming of Christ is for the redemption of all things? And mm-hmm. so you're going to be about redeeming like the brokenness that you see in the world mm-hmm. and, and res- restoration. So, um, yeah. And maybe this would be a helpful place to return to this image that Jesus uses here, that of birth pains or, or contractions, like all of creation is groaning yes. until the new creation is birthed. That's what, that's what Paul says. So this is like, this is a really kind of crucial image to how we understand the end quote unquote, which is actually just a new beginning, a new Mm -hmm. create, a new creation that, that God is moving all creation to new creation. And it is like a birth Mm -hmm. and like a birth, it is happening with or without you. Yeah. That's (laughs) so good. It will happen on its own time. And God is already doing the work in some mysterious and hidden ways. And in some ways where we have to partner, right? You make a birth plan, you pack the overnight bag, you schedule where your hospital is going to be. There are certain things that you have to do, but ultimately the baby will come in its own sweet time. Right. And and this is, (laughs) This is, this is how new creation works, right? It's not something that we bring about. Like it is, we're not conquerors. We are midwives to new creation, right? And so we're, so we're attentive to the birth pangs, right? We pay attention to signs of health. We pay attention to signs of distress. We know how to pivot. We know how to breathe. (laughs) We know how to push, but like, ultimately it is God who is doing the work, right? We are not conquerors. We're midwives attentive to new creation that is being born among us. Right. And that's like a radical different posture yes. than the like we need to take things back now nah, you need to take a deep breath and push when it's time to push yeah. oh, <laughs> but that's such a, yeah. but like but you but all of that is is determined by like the rhythm that god has set into motion already it's mm-hmm. it's 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 god's work in the world where new creation is being born among us right right, right. Absolutely. Oh, that's, I love that. Every time I relearn or I'm refreshed on that midwife metaphor, I'm like, that's, that's it. Like that is such a great description and such a helpful metaphor to understand eschatology, like the, the posture that we're supposed to take. Yeah. Pay attention, do the work that you can do, but, but keep humility in your posture, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing that it is God who is doing the work and God who is bringing something good and beautiful and new into the world. And, um, my, a a friend of mine said this at at the, at the birth of her first child, she said, like, like my job was, (laughs) was to breathe, um, and then to witness and express awe. Like, that's it. Like that was, that was my work in in that space. And, and that like, that's, that's our work too here, not crunching the numbers, calculating the signs, trying to like roadmap certainty or take over institutions. Mm -hmm. Nope. It's to breathe, to pay attention, to witness and to express awe. That's it. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. And that expression of awe is being directed towards, like you're saying, the finite things in this text by disciples, mm-hmm. which is we're, we're often susceptible to. But that that awe is to be directed towards the the revelation of God in the world, which is which is Christ Jesus. 
Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I find like apocalyptic text and eschatology a little bit hard um, mm-hmm. to, to preach through, uh, especially when I know that there are folks in my congregation who are longing for certainty and who have been yeah. formed and shaped in very different ways than I have. And so trying to come to this moment with grace and with understanding, but also like openness and with hope um, right. and, and to... Yeah, and, and to avoid any like big fights over over like when when something is going to happen or what sort of signs to avoid those sorts of fights, I look to Jesus and, and try to continue to point to the words of Jesus. Right, so, absolutely, and and I think that those are such helpful words for when we go into Advent because the lectionary text. Yeah gets more apocalyptic. And then you're like, Merry Christmas, as you send your people out, right? It's like, but understanding, like reclaiming apocalypse is something that we really need to do from dispensationalism, reconstructionism, like these themes that have become so central to American Christianity, we need to reclaim apocalypse for the redemption and the, and, and the healing that Christ intends it to be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So good. Well, I think that's all the time that we have for today. So check out our website for more written commentaries for the scripture this week. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in the know and connect with us on social media for further conversation and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and share with your friends. It really helps us to get the word out. And special thanks to all the writers who contributed this week and to Matt Ghost for our original music editing and production. Join us next week for the last Sunday of Ordinary Time and a celebration of Christ the King. See you then.